just you and me here tonight Home alone You're wearing that red dress You know, girl, you know turns me on Way you're moving like that drives me out of my mind. Why don't you come a little closer? Let's heat up this living room tonight. Yeah, your fire. Fire. I want to touch you all over, even though I know it's gone. Jr. and today's song was Fire, uh, one of his newer songs that's been out. You can check out his website at joelgibsonjrmusic.com for his upcoming schedule and events, as well as the ability to buy some merchandise, hats, hoodies, coasters, and much, much more. Check out his website, follow along. He is definitely going places. He is a one of the up-and-coming singers here in the Pacific Northwest, and he is making a huge name for himself. That's Joel Gibson Jr., and his website is joelgibsonjrmusic.com. Welcome back to the Chit Chat, encouraging one another podcast. I'm your host, Jody Sheffield, and I've learned two things doing podcasting and the four months I've been doing it is one, don't be afraid to reach out and to ask people just if they want to come on the show for an interview, don't be afraid. And two, expect the unexpected. And the four months I've done this, I have talked to people who I never ever thought I would be able to talk to. And today's guest is goes around that list. Uh, he played football for the Arizona State Sun Devils from 1981 to 1983. He played for the Seattle Seahawks from 1983 to 1989. And he coached with the Seattle Seahawks from 1990 to 1994. It is my honor today to have on Mr. Paul Moyer as we I'm sure talk about sports. I will not miss an opportunity to talk about sports with him and his knowledge and players he played with. I'm pretty, I'm really excited about that. And I'm really curious to know who or how he was encouraged throughout his career, who inspired him or motivated him to be the player he was and to do the things he is doing now. 
and I hear him on uh, Seahawks uh, pre and post game show sometimes on the radio sometimes. So I'm really excited to talk to Mr. Paul Moyer here on Chit Chat. Encourage him with another podcast. Hello there, Jody. How are you? Not too bad yourself. Good, thanks. Uh, I'm super excited to be talking to you, with you today, and thanks for taking a few minutes out of your busy day. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, I did a brief introduction for you already, so we'll just get rolling, shall we? You got it. Thanks. Uh, first of all, thanks again for the opportunity to talk to you today, and I got some icebreaker questions to well, kind of get going before we get into good conversations. You ready? Yes, I am. Uh, so I'm giving you the opportunity to draft a offensive player and defensive player for your new organization. One first, one pick for offense and one pick defense. Any era, any person. Who are you going with? Uh, I, I get a choice of offense or defense or I get one of each? You get one of each for okay. your first two picks of your team. Oh, boy. I got to go back a ways. I'm going to go with Kenny Easley on defense. Um, it, partly, you know, he, he obviously he's a very good friend of mine and I got to play with him pretty much my whole career, <clears throat> but he's probably the best athlete I've ever been around. And, mm. and I always, uh, throw in what's an athlete, uh, you know, today someone sees someone run really fast or jumps really high and says, that's an athlete. Um, I think of an athlete who can do everything. And uh, Kenny was a, a scratch golfer. I mean, he played on UCLA's freshman basketball team. He probably could have played quarterback for us. Um, he and I used to have some uh, fierce ping pong matches during camp. <laughs> <laughs> but if he didn't uh, have the kidney uh, ailment, uh, in which cut his career short, obviously, you know, he would have been known as, as one of the greatest, if not the greatest safety ever to play the game. He was that mm-hmm. gifted. So I'll take him on, on defense. Uh, on offense, whew, um, I'm going to go back at era again. I'm going to go with John Elway. Uh, okay. It, partly because he's one of the few guys who could win <clears throat> without a great team around him. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he went to three Super Bowls, maybe four. I think it was three before he finally won the last two. And the teams he took the Super Bowl team with, with I'll throw one of it at you, 1986. I think we beat Denver the last game of the year at home something like 45 to 7 they went on and went to the super bowl and ended up losing but it was because of him you know same thing when they played cleveland uh and he was so gifted when he came out of college so um those those are my two old school was Kenny easily one of those guys who hated losing period oh man (laughs) yeah i mean he's he's michael jordan kobe bryant that kind of uh competitive nature he didn't sleep um, when we were in camp and Cheney at the time, he would knock on my door, you know, at four thirty, five o'clock in the morning. And, uh, we would go golfing for nine holes. Uh, <laughs> so he just, he was the guy who was always in motion on doing things and practice, um, when he wanted to, not always, but when he was, uh, healthy, uh, you know, practices could be pretty intense. You know, the games afterwards flying home could be intense. So, yeah, he was a pretty competitive guy. Uh, question number two is, if you had the opportunity to invite four sports sports personalities over for dinner, living or deceased, who are you inviting over and why? 
Well, I'm a golfer, so Tiger Woods would be one. And I, I like to be around probably the ones I'm throwing out there are there. It's just about people who ex, excel at greatness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Tiger, there's, there was actually a, a clip from him, uh, the last tournament he just played. And it was one where he, he hooked the ball around 60 yards around the trees with all the fans lined up right in front of him. And the, which I, I can't even believe that they didn't move them back. But they, they have a, a somebody filmed it, a fan on their phone, and you watch his focus. <clears throat> and he was visualizing the shot, and he backed, excuse me, backed away. <clears throat> excuse me, I got to grab something to drink on you. Sorry about that. <laughs> Don't want you dying. I didn't leave you. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was just the focus, and he had to reset. And the way he visualized that whole shot was extraordinary to me. Um, so he'd be one, and um, gotta, I mean, I like golf so much. I could probably do another one with Phil Mickelson, mainly because I think he's so fun. And uh, even though he's going through some issues right now, but he'd be a, a fun guy to hang out with. But I'm not, I'm not going to use him. Uh, two, I, I was a Kobe Bryant fan growing up. Same deal. I mean, it's just the the greatness on him and what he expected from his teammates and himself and and never wavered um boy three living or dead well that's a great question um tom brady um i i've met him before um he he did something for my son when my son was uh, being recruited at UCLA and he decided he didn't want to play baseball anymore. Uh, He was on a scholarship to Gonzaga. And uh, and while we were being recruited by Rick Neuheisel or we, my son, (laughs) Tom Brady was on the field practicing at UCLA. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, it was really cool. And and so um, uh, Rick said, Hey, come on, let's, let's go over and say hi to Tom. You know, he's working out. I think he was with Julian Edelman or somebody and his trainer or kind of his personal trainer, excuse me. And so Rick introduced us and, and kind of told the story that my son was looking to leave baseball. He wanted to play football and Tom put his arm around him and, and talked with him and, you know, how difficult that was. He played baseball when he was in high school and, you know, to, to focus just on one would, would be a tough decision. And uh, I remember when we were leaving, he said, Hey, Nick, Nick. And he called him back over and he put his arm around him again. And he just talked with just those two for about, you know, three or four minutes. And we finally walked away, but I, it was just something that I went, God, what a great guy. And I said, what you see, I really believe is what you get from him. Um, so amazing guy. Um, so that's three. And then the last one. Um, wow. Ken Griffey Jr. I just, these are all just great, great players and people. Mm -hmm. I think all of them can golf too. So (laughs) uh, that'd be a really good fivesome uh, out golfing. So that would, yeah, I would like it. Uh, Do you have a favorite sports movie? I'm sure you're flooded with sports 24 seven. Do you have a, one you can sit down and watch a few times? Oh my goodness. Yeah. I'm, I'm one of those kind of movie guys like Caddyshack and Bull Durham and, um, yeah, I know, know all those, those scenes and all the lines. Um, my favorite movie though, might be, um, I think one of my favorite ones is on any given Sunday. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. just a, 
really, I knew the, the, the producer and directors met them uh, and just how they went about making that movie. Uh, it's a huge cast. Yeah. Just in, in, in just amazing scenes in there, you know, for those who really didn't watch it, go watch it. It's a really well done movie. And you're right. Just, you know, a bunch of superstars in there. And they were all like, who's who? I mean, there'd be some good guy. Oh, cool. Jay. And yeah, yeah. A whole, yeah, a whole slew of guys. Yeah, no, it's it, that's an impressive. I, I love that one, but I will say the one I've seen the most, it probably have to be Bull Durham and and Caddyshack, though. Uh, remember the Titans is probably up there too. Mm. Oh yeah, I've seen that one uh, several uh, times on TV. I'm like, oh, well, I said you already watched this, yeah? So yep. <laughs> <laughs> watching it again, you don't understand. There's some powerful lines in that movie too. Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. So Hollywood's coming to call calling you, and they want to do a Paul Moyer movie. Who do you want to play your character? Oh, that's easy, Brad Pitt. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> my wife, when I first met her, uh, she used to think I looked like Mel Gibson, or she she had a big crush on Mel Gibson, like uh, Tequila Sunrise, one of those movies, and and she whether she thought I'd look like him or she just demanded all her friends say that I look like him. <laughs> not sure which, uh, but yeah, I mean, Hey, if you're going to, uh, you got to have a bit of a fantasy that someone thinks you look like, you know, Mel Gibson or any of those guys, that would work. All right. Sounds good. Do you have a hidden talent? You mentioned golf. Do you have a, another hidden talent besides golf? Well, I like sports. You know, I mean, okay. I like playing tennis and and golf. Um, yeah, ping pong, pool. Um, I'll give you a hidden talent. Uh, baseball, though, was was kind of my best sport coming out of high school. Um, but hidden talent. Uh, Dave Craig and I used to compete at everything from pool to bowling to cribbage. It didn't matter. Um, <laughs> but he was one of the few that owned his own pool table. And you don't play with those guys without having w- wagering some money. Mm-hmm. And he being the quarterback had more. So it was getting expensive for me because he was whooping me pretty good. <laughs> so I bought a pool table and a back then a VHS tape. And I practiced for three months and would not play him. <laughs> I did not tell him I bought a pool table or practice. Way before YouTube. <laughs> yeah. And then proceeded to uh, make up for all the lost earnings in one night. Uh, my wife remembers this well. She tells a story about how competitive I am, and she likes that story. So oh, that's, that, that's, that would be my one of my hidden talents. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Can you get the, uh, get the few listeners I have? I, I, more and more each week. But a brief bio about yourself and what you're doing now. Well, I'm a president uh, of a trust company called First Hill Trust Company. Um, we have about four companies uh, underneath us there, and uh, we we really f- specialize in employee benefits. Uh, we're registered investment advisors, so we manage money. We do all the administration, record keeping on the retirement side, as well as on the medical side. We do all uh, the the work there for renewals, and as well as on the administration. So, um, been doing that for about five years. But when I was done uh, coaching. Uh, after 1994, I went into the kind of the financial service uh, world and worked for some asset management companies uh, out of New York and 
and kind of settled into this role about five years ago. So that's what I'm doing up here in Seattle. You mentioned you're married. How long are you married for? I am going on 33 years. Um, a recent grandfather, my daughter and her husband uh, have a baby, Lennon James, who she was born about five months ago. And then my son, who's 30, uh, and he ended up playing football, well, baseball at Gonzaga for a year and then football at uh, Cal Poly in the, in the big sky uh, against Eastern Washington and Montana and them. So, oh, yeah. so I recently well, I watched a couple of videos on YouTube and just got a little brief bio about you. You played five sports in high school? Um, I think ninth grade (laughs) and ninth grade was my last big one where I wrestled track baseball, football, and, um, there's another one, I what football, basketball, baseball, oh, track and wrestling. Yeah. So five sports in ninth grade. Mm. After that, I just played football and baseball. Um, I had my sophomore year in high school. I didn't even play a sport. I had uh, a knee surgery and was out the whole year Mm. and uh, didn't really want to play football. But I had a a good friend of mine who said, well, you couldn't even make our team. Um, And it was a really good team. I mean, we were state California CIF championship three years in a row, one at my junior year. But the the story behind that one is he, he was playing corner. And so I went out just to prove that I could make the team. And I ended up uh, taking it. So I have them to thank for my career. <laughs> well, there's someone who inspired you in those sports, a coach, a parent, or a mentor who, who said, you know, don't quit, keep pushing, you know, you're, you may have to face some challenges, but keep going. Yeah, I don't think uh, anybody who makes it, you know, probably to the level I played, you know, you, you got to have somebody who, who mentored you, encouraged you. You know, start for me, easy one, my parents, um, you know, my mom and dad, were both very supportive and, you know, particularly my mom. I mean, she was, my dad was working, but my mom made sure I went to every event and, you know, was shoveling us around and, you know, she's definitely number one. Um, And then I had a a high school baseball coach who just encouraged me um, that kind of got me to the point where he said, you know, you have a shot, Uh, you know, maybe not professionally, but, you know, in college, you know, as an athlete. Um, but where, probably the big one was when I went to junior college uh, at Fullerton Junior College, uh, and I had three guys there, Hal Sherbeck, um, who was at Fullerton Junior College, the winningest junior college coach in, that, uh, in history, uh, and then a guy named Al Fiola, uh, and just recently passed Jeff Jesperson. I mean, those three, without them, I wouldn't be here today. Mm-hmm. And you brought up, you know, making sure I kept pursuing uh, and not quitting, I was going to quit football and move or go back to Cal State Fullerton and play baseball. Hmm. And uh, I just had a horrible junior year. I got benched after three games. I was probably a little homesick uh, as well. And uh, I remember Al Fiola, my secondary coach at Fullerton Junior College, calling me and saying, hey, you, what are you doing? Basically, you, you want to play baseball, go play baseball at Arizona State. But if you quit, you'll regret this the rest of your life. Mm. And, you know, you're, you're not a quitter. And I just, you know, he, it was just a tough love conversation. And Alfiola is pr- probably the biggest influence in my life. Mm. And, um, and so I, I turned it around. I mean, I decided to keep playing football. You know, I had a great spring, great senior year. The rest is history. Decided not to play baseball. 
Um, so yeah, so Alfiola, well, Willie Shaw is another one. He was my secondary coach at Arizona state. Um, after I'd lost confidence in Willie's, his son's Nate Shaw, who's head coach at Stanford. Um, Willie really was the one guy who believed in me going into mm-hmm. my senior year. And mm-hmm. he, I, I'll never forget it. Our defensive coordinator yelled at me at practice during spring football. And I heard Willie Shaw grab him and say, Hey man, just let him play. You know, just stop yelling at him. Just let him play. He's playing well right now. Let's just let him go out and do his thing. And I heard him say that. And and then he ended up starting me again my senior year. And I'll never forget that. I Just that little thing in the back of my ear that I go, he believes in me. Mm -hmm. And and that was was a big moment for me. That's all it takes for a lot of folks, you know, who are young, really young. Is I believe in you. Just keep your head up. Keep going. And that does, uh, you know, that does a lot for someone's uh, uh, ego, someone's uh, know, drive, I guess. Yeah, I think there's there's so many ways to do that, too, Jody. Uh, you know, to me, there is tough love. You know, you got to be honest with people. You know, I if I have a guy who runs a 5-2 and he's playing safety, you know, I got to have the conversation with him. Yeah. That, but at the same time, I want to encourage him on what he's really good at. And, and more importantly, if he does have that skill level and it's just maybe, you know, mental, you know, and lost confidence, I, I want to encourage that. But I think you have to have tough love and you treat everybody different, but fairly. And you, you've got to have those. Um, I've had them in my business career, you know, where, you know, pointing me in another direction, said, that's not your strength. This mm-hmm. is your strength. And. <laughs> Uh, you know, just encouraged me to really, you know, they always say, don't worry about what you can't do, you know, really focus on what you can do. Right. And uh, I try to surround my people, myself with people like that who are positive and hey, you know, no and negative is not an option. You know, let's focus on the positive part of it. And yep. look, that's the great thing about America, man. If you really, truly don't complain about it, man, the opportunities are endless. Was there a player you liked growing up, like watching on TV? You're like, I want to be, I want to be like them, or I like just kind of their, admired their playing style. Um, well, two parts to that. that I, I grew up in Orange County, California, and you'd think I'd been a huge Ram fan, which I was to an extent. Um, but I became more of a Raider fan. Mm. So I was, you know, I mean, I Daryl LaMonica, George Bland, the way, 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 way back. Um, what, uh, what's uh, what was the question again? Sorry, that two-part answer. Was there a player you like watching, watching growing up and kind of oh. how you wanted to play? Yeah, and so um, the guy that really – this will come back as – it'll sound like a, a backhanded compliment, I guess, but was Nolan Cromwell. And uh, Nolan was a safety for the Rams, mm-hmm. uh, played quarterback, I believe, at Nebraska, really good athlete. And I, I want to say it was my – senior or junior year in, in college and I went to one of their games and I was in the end zone and I just watched him and I said I can do that uh, I mean I I think I can play at the next level and it was more he was such a good player and I was just watching his play and I thought okay I can I can play similar similar than to him made my games a little different but that was a guy that got me to where I thought okay I can do this at the next level Arizona State came calling. Were there any other colleges? Was just that was the candidate came down to that college you wanted to go play college ball at? Yeah, junior college is a little different because you don't have as many 
universities coming at it because they they want freshmen back then particularly um but i yeah i had the usc um and i grew up a diehard usc fan my my cousin toby page played quarterback there my uncle was a running back there so and my dad and my family we had trojan uh gear everywhere in our house we were we were usc trojans and I believe North Turner was the secondary coach and John Robinson was the head coach. And they were just kind of going back and forth, you know, me and another guy. And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm making a decision. And so when I went to Arizona state, it was easy. It was, you know, four and a half, five hour drive from my house, but they had some unbelievable players coming back. So I knew we were going to be really good. Um, but yeah, I had SC, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, Arizona State. I went to Illinois. I don't, I'm not sure why. BYU recruited me. They had a great uh, secondary coach. Um, trying to think who else. Uh, TCU and maybe San Diego State. I don't remember all of them, but it was trying to keep it somewhat local. Was the DB position you played in high school too? Would you bounce around or how did you come to play just DB? Um, I played corner my junior year and mainly because I was coming off that knee surgery, I just didn't get my speed back. And, mm. you know, for those out there that are worried about their children uh, getting bigger, I was five, five, 120 pounds in ninth grade. I was my junior year. I was about five, 11, 155 pounds. Mm-hmm. And then my senior, year, I was probably six foot six, one hundred ninety, And, you know, I just lifted and started to fill out. Um, so, um, God, got your question again. Apologize for that. <laughs> Thinking all the way through those. Uh, you weren't drafted in NFL. Did that deter you from wanting to play in NFL? Or that light a fire under your butt and say, yeah. I got to do this. I'm, I got to prove myself. Yeah. I mean, my senior year, we, we led the nation in defense. We were really good. Matter of fact, I think it's the only team I can remember who led the nation in offense my junior year and then my senior year we led the nation in defense. I think we had 27 guys off my junior senior team that played professionally. So we had, we had a pretty good team, but because of that, my uh, counterpart, the other safety was a guy named Mike Richardson and he was a three-time all American. Uh, we had Vernon Maxwell, Jim Jeffcoat. I mean, we had, you know, first, second round picks, um, really good team. So I was the defensive player of the East West Shrine game and an all-star game where John Elway and everybody was playing in it. So I was more frustrated than anything. Um, when you become a free agent, you are just that. I mean, everybody is calling you if you can play. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had Dallas and Pittsburgh. And back then the phones rang about two o'clock in the morning. It's not like <laughs> today, right? I mean, the draft ends around 1 a.m. back then. And then, you know, it's you're literally getting your landline called uh, to, to come to that team. So I wasn't discouraged by any means. I knew I could play. I, there's no question in my mind. It was just what's the right fit. Mm-hmm. And um, Seattle, uh, Chuck Knox just left Buffalo, and it was his first year. They had just uh, signed him. So I knew right then that all right, no one will have a jump on me from a scheme standpoint. And then my defensive coordinator, a guy who recruited me to Arizona State, a guy named George Dyer, uh, he had moved to Buffalo to be their defensive line coach. So when that whole staff came to Seattle, 
he knew me. We are friends. Um, he told me, he said, Paul, he goes, we have two great starters in John Harris and Kenny Easley, but the backups, you have a legit shot at making this team. And so I jumped at that. And I, now discouraged, never. I'm a more resolved, um, bit of a chip on the shoulder that every guy in the East-West Shrine game got drafted but me wow. in the secondary. And I was the MVP of the game. Mm. So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll show them. And I, <laughs> yeah. I was reading over your career, seven seasons from 83 to 89. Uh, every season, the Seahawks had a winning season, except the season you got hurt. <laughs> there, there you go. They were and 55 and 47 while, while, they, while you played. I don't, I don't know what game you went out, but they were 7 and 9 in, in 89. I went out with about five games left in the season. I had, um, my daughter was just born, and I, we were playing Cleveland. And I, was, I was getting a lot of stingers. It's kind of why I didn't uh, – I started in, in 88 – in 89, I just didn't play very well in camp or, or um, even the back then they were, weren't called OTAs. They were called mini camps. Mm-hmm. And, and I just couldn't understand why every time I got hit, I was getting stingers. Um, I hadn't really gotten knocked out yet, but this game with about five games left, we're playing Cleveland. I, I hit a guy named Ben Manoa, who's about 250 pound running back. And uh, I was sleeping for about three minutes after that snoring. Mm. And when I woke up, I didn't remember my daughter was born. And um, there's a lot of things, short-term memory, I, I didn't remember. Um, and then I went and played again the next week against the Giants. And I got hit on the side of my chin real light. And I went down again. And I went, okay, what's going on? And so, long story short, uh, it ended up having two herniated discs in my neck. And Chuck Knox basically said, I think you should retire and start your coaching career here with us. Mm. And so, and that's kind of how my, my coaching career began there. But no, I, uh, yeah, it was a good run. I mean, I, I, it was, a, we had really good teams in 89. We were, we started getting old. We had, you know, Dave Craig and Jacob Green, Kenny was gone, you know, really our stable, our core. We're, we're now in our, you know, thirties at that point. And it was, it was probably about time to rebuild. So you bring up eighty nine. I grad I graduated high school in nineteen eighty nine. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> when I was growing up, I was a big Bo Jackson fan. And I, I believe to this day, him and Dion are the only two guys that have gone both ways. Can you imagine playing both sports in a major league baseball and NFL? Um yeah, I'd like to think I I can imagine it because I played baseball in high school and everybody said do you think you could have played, you know, professional baseball? And we all say yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I watch this game now and how much movement, how fast they throw it. That would have been pretty hard. But yeah, Bo Jackson. Well, I'll, I'll talk about Deion Sanders real briefly. Deion could have probably played both ways in football and played baseball. That's mm-hmm. how gifted he was. Mm-hmm. Um, Bo Jackson was just. He was just a freak. I mean, he was just so <laughs> fast, so strong. I don't even know how much he worked out. I mean, it was so natural. Um, but I'll tell you a story on Bo Jackson, because uh, my son says I still need to write him and, and apologize or ask for forgiveness. We're, we're playing him in 1988. And if you'll remember, the year before that, 87, was the Monday night game where he ran 93, 6, 7, 8 yards. I, I think he's still running. <laughs> exactly. Through the tunnel. 
Um, I was on that play, unfortunately. I was on the other side, so I had nothing to do with it. Gotcha. Okay. But it showed how fast he was. But when we played in 88, Chuck Knox made it a point that he embarrassed us, Bo Jackson, and it won't happen again. Mm. And so we go into the game and we're at home the first game. And um, I pretty much MF him every play. Mm. I mean, you know, everything in the book, I was just almost had Tourette's, which is funny because I don't curse in real life. But on the football field between the lines, man, I, I couldn't stop cussing. It was unbelievable. And I MF'd him and told him, get back to the huddle. I walked him back to the huddle. And it was at the very end of the game. And it, again, I feel horrible on this one. So if you know, you know, he had a bit of a speech impediment where he stuttered when he grew up and he worked through that. And he kind of did that. Like he got so frustrated and he just said more, you know, in his way. And he said, you know, F you. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, oh, I got him. I got in his head mentally and I told the story to my son and he goes, dad, that ain't right. I go, I know. He goes, you have got to write him and apologize. I said, I know. And I still haven't done it to this day. So maybe next week, but that's my my Bo Jackson story. We beat him twice that year. I remember Tom Flores coming up to me and says, you know what? We tried to isolate you on Bo as often as we can, but basically I outsmarted him. You know, I I never let them know what we were playing, and I never let that one-on-one out in space happen. So, but Bo was Bo was incredible. I think he'd be one of my favorite people to have on. He's my even Ricky Henderson, my two favorite athletes of all time. And oh, I know yeah. his career was cut short, but dude, he was a beast. He like a freight train, trying to tackle. He was he was um, he. He could. I mean, the, I learned how to hit him. I mean, you, you had to hit him low. If you tried to hit him high or around the thighs, forget about it. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the era where big backs jumped in. I mean, you had Christian Okoye. Oh, yeah. Larry, Larry, not Larry Johnson. There's another Johnson from Cleveland. And then you had Bo Jackson. All of a sudden, you had these big backs who could run. And with big backs who can run, you better learn how to tackle them. And we just learned, cut him at the knees, really talk to him, you know, get in his face as much as you can. Um, but as far as an athlete, Bo, I don't know if there's a better one than Bo Jackson. So during your career, you played 98 games, 30 starts, 11 interceptions, eight fumble recoveries, four sacks. Maybe the first interception? I do. Uh, it's an easy one. Um because we were playing the San Diego Chargers. They were San Diego at the time. Yep. And uh, it was against two Hall of Famers. One was the quarterback was Dan Fouts, and the tight end was Kellen Winslow. Mm. And uh, they tried to isolate Kellen on me, which was probably a good game plan. Uh, But it didn't work. I cut underneath it and took it back for 19 yards for a touchdown. And – it's uh, I can't remember who brought this up, but I was thinking of the my interceptions. Um, I, Jim Kelly, John Elway, um, uh, excuse me, uh, well, I don't think it was uh, Dan. Uh, yeah, excuse me, Dan Fouts. And there, I think there was four or five Hall of Famers in there. So at least when I got them there against good people. <laughs> so you're, you're, you have sex. You had one each each of your years, 84, 85, 86, 87. Do you remember each sack? 
No, I, it's funny. <laughs> I, I didn't even know I had four sacks. I know I had one against Elway because I have the picture of it. Um, yeah, 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 one each each of the four consecutive years in a row. So <laughs> my my senior year in college, uh, I had ten sacks. I led our team in sacks and interceptions that year. Uh, mm. We blitzed a lot, and we had this one defense that was kind of fun for me, where I could read, uh, kind of had the option to blitz or not. But I don't remember. I remember most of my interceptions. Um, but uh, yeah, the sacks, I don't remember those. Uh, you played the postseason a few times. What was the first time when you made the playoffs? What was it like? Well, I tell people this. Um, it was crazy because it was the first time the Seahawks had ever gone to the playoffs. And it reminds me a bit of 1995 when the Mariners went to the playoffs. It was mm. just electric around here. And while the 12s love the Seahawks of today, um, it was a bigger frenzy at the time when I was there. Just because, again, it was the first time. You know, now because the media and you know these guys have become superstars, it's a, it's a little different. But uh, we played uh, – I'll, I'll lead the story up for you. We had to win – I think our last three games to get to the playoffs. Uh, one of them I want to say was against Kansas city that we beat 40 for 52, 49 or 51, 48 uh, in overtime. And Norm Johnson hit the, the winning field goal for us. And then we had to go to the giants in New York and beat them. And I want to say they called the playback uh, an either an interception or a touchdown that would have, we would have lost the game, but there was a penalty and we ended up, winning that game too and then the last game of the year we played new england and the winner got the wild card spot and we mm. killed we, we 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 killed new england that year um but the first playoff game was against denver broncos oh wow yeah and we we whooped up on them pretty good um john elway wasn't even starting i went steve DeBerg was was playing and steve went to fort junior college same junior college i went to and uh, all I remember about that game was my dad was mad at me because at the end of the game, Elway threw a pass out into the flat and I cut undercut it. And I, <laughs> I just couldn't quite jump high enough to get it. I touched it, but I would have, I would have taken that for six mm, wow. mad at me for not scoring a touchdown that game. So close. Yes. <clears throat> Do you, I, I miss the AFC West of the Raiders, Chargers, Seahawks, that was just some hard killing each other football compared to the NFC West now, I think. Do you miss the AFC, the original AFC West? Well, it was weird when they decided to make the move. Um, I want to say that the Seahawks started off in the NFC West and then moved to the AFC West. Um, it was They were certainly in the AFC West when I first came there in 83. <clears throat> and I think the rivalry, particularly with the Raiders – and Denver was was pretty intense. Um, Kansas City never really had a lot of good teams, but they beat us every year. I've I, I never beat them in Kansas City. It mm. was unbelievable. And they, and they had some bad teams. And there was one game, I'll remember, there was probably like 8,000 people there. And there was a guy across the field, a fan. Uh, let's say I'm on the 40-yard line. He's across the field on the 10. And I heard him yell, Moyer, you suck. <laughs> And I went, well, you guys don't have very many fans here. But that was that was kind of weird. We never beat them. Um, but the Raiders and Denver were big rivalry, big rivals for us. 
but I, I'm kind of used to the NFC West now. I mean, the 49ers and, and certainly the Rams now have become big rivals for us, even Arizona. Um, there's not as many teams, obviously, as there used to be in the division. Uh, but I, I, I'm kind of used to it. Um, I, I, I hate the 49ers. I mean, with a passion. Mm. I mean, it's, it's, it's real. And I think that started back 2012, 2013, when they went to the Super Bowl. Then we went to the Super Bowl. Um, and then it's just now the Rams. I mean, it's, it's a real dislike for each other in Arizona. Um, so, yeah, I kind of miss those rivalries, but I think we've built a couple along the way. Uh, in November 89, you suffered a neck injury, which made you kind of step away from the game. Was that a difficult decision for you to find something new to do? Well, it was, it was hard, and that's all you know, right? But here's where it became easy for me, Jody, was um, I came back. I remember my wife and I, Heather, uh, we went to the doctor, and he was telling me about the injury and basically that I need to retire. And I was like, I didn't really hear it. She heard it. And I was like, what does he, what do you, what does he mean Mm -hmm. retire? And what at my neck, I just, I barely could hear it. And so when I went back to the facility, um, Chuck Knox was there and he called me up and he said, Hey, look, you could probably have surgery on us and keep playing. He goes, I don't think it's worth it. You've had a good career and coaches like you. Um, why don't you start your football career here with us or your coaching career here with us? Mm-hmm. And I was, and I was like, well, I didn't even know he was going to say that. And he <laughs> goes, look, there's four or five games left in the season. Might start coming to the meetings with the coaches, travel, go up in the press box, you know, just see if this is something you want to do. And I'm like, okay. Uh, that was a no brainer, obviously. <laughs> um, I mean, you just, you know, I'm 30, I don't know. I'm not even 30. I'm 28 years old. I mean, that just doesn't happen in this league. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I was probably the youngest coach in the NFL at that time. I was a bit on a fast track uh, for them, you know, moving me up the ranks uh, with the, the staff. Uh, so, no, that was an easy decision and, and something I was really fortunate that I kind of got to wean my way out of, you know, the Sundays for playing and, and find another outlet. Do you paraphrase Coach Knox in a couple of sentences? What would you say about Coach Knox? Well, God, he was uh, – how do you describe Chuck? Um, Chuck was uh, kind of like the Mona Lisa uh, or when you go to Disneyland and they that uh, when you go to um, uh, the haunted house and where that one statue wherever you walk is looking at you. right that was chuck he was the most intimidating um commanded respect of any coach i've been around he walked in the room and everybody stopped talking um it didn't we were on the practice field we could all be stretching and offense is on one side defense is on the other side he would have his hat on pulled down you know just above his eyes and every guy thought he was looking at him and so it was one of those you just never wanted to let him down. You wanted him, you know, to be proud of you. And I, I remember we were playing in 1988. We were playing uh, the Houston Oilers, and Warren Moon was the, the quarterback. And I intercepted him uh, in the end zone and brought it back down our sideline to about the 30-yard line. It was a, a really big interception at the time. We ended up winning that game. And 
I remember watching it and the only person I was looking for is I wanted to see if Chuck was excited. Like, did he give me a, a fist pump or anything? And a smile as anything. And Chuck <laughs> doesn't do that, man. He just, he, that's just not his, his style. I mean, he, he doesn't praise you for doing your job. You know, he praises for, you know, extraordinary um, effort, but I'll met uh, the next day he walked up to me and he said, Hey, great game. By the way, that interception couldn't happen at a better time. I'm like, okay. So when he asked me to coach with him, it, it was kind of took me off guard because he only talked to me about four or five times in my career, mm. but they were meaningful. I remember every single one of them. Um, and yeah, he was just a great coach, great leader of men, uh, knew how to get the most out of us. And again, a command of respect, like, like nobody I've been around. I came across some quotes by Ch uh, Chuck Knox said, uh, see if you ever heard him before. This came from uh, Jeff Nixon. I don't know who, if you know him or not. But he said, uh, one of them was, uh, Coach Knox said, right now, everyone hates us. They hate, hate you. The fans hate you. Hell, the cheerleaders hate you. To them, you're like, well done. And that's the lowest thing on earth. <laughs> well, we have these things called the Knoxisms. And, you know, you know, again, you know, when a man hits the ground, you know, a man gets up. You bring your hard hat and lunch pail with you to work. Um, he, you know, hey, <laughs> Uh, I, there's some things I can't say. Uh, <laughs> podcast, I guess. Actually, on podcasts, probably say whatever you want, right? Probably, yeah. But he, um, he always had. He would spend hours because uh, when I was coaching, I'd ask him, you know, how he prepared and stuff. And he told me he spent hours on his speeches for Wednesday morning because uh, we would have Tuesdays off. Uh, Monday we would come in to watch Sunday's game. We'd run a little bit. Tuesdays, uh, you're off. Uh, don't come to the facility unless you're hurt. And then Wednesdays, our first day of the week. And uh, he would spend, again, hours on the speech, you know, trying to message this game coming up, what he wanted us to do, to what to focus on. Um, so, yeah, he was yeah, he was an impressive guy, though. The other one I found was, uh, remember the six Ps. Perfect, <laughs> perfect practice prevents piss-poor performance. He had uh, he had one he he wrote assume on the board and he goes he goes don't ever assume you know what assume is and then he would set up the syllables there and he goes it makes an ass out of you and me and uh, yeah I we Dave Wyman if I ever get him on he remembers most of the Noxisms there are so many of them and I loved them that he used to fire me up every morning. There were some of the guys, you know, you, you'd been around, you know, five, six years, seven years now. It got maybe a little old and stale for them. But I grew up, you know, with a dad that, you know, talked like that. And uh, to me, it, it, it worked. I called my brother a few days ago who lives in Denver. And I said, you're welcome <laughs> for our quarterback. <laughs> uh, I'm excited about the potential of this new Seahawk team. I know we may have a couple of years. In your opinion, can you give a brief review of our upcoming season, maybe the next couple of years, you think, or where the team's going to be at? Yeah, I, I think um, – let me break this up into two parts for you because uh, I'm, a lot of people say, hey, do you think we're going to be better? What's our record going to be next year? And, you know, obviously I don't know what our record's going to be. We, we play the NFC West and the AFC West, and we have Tampa Bay – 
you know, we it's a gauntlet of, of teams we got to go up against. Let's exclude the quarterback for right now because, you know, it's, it's hard to replace Russell Wilson, though I do think it was the right time to trade him. I think I his agree. best football is behind him. Yep. Um, I think it takes a certain system for him to be great at. And by the way, when he's in that certain system, he is great. Um, we've proven that. But if you want him to run the Rams offense or, you know, this quick passing game today, that's just not his strength. I mean, he can't see the middle of the field. He's just not tall enough for it. But what he does do well is pretty remarkable. And that's, you know, deep ball. He's accurate. He's, he's a winner. Um, but I think we're more talented right now. Um, we've got, you've got to get young in this game. It's a young man's game. Like, you know, you've heard that, but I say it all the time. Um, I love Bobby Wagner, but his best football, you know, was, was probably two years ago. Um, and, you know, again, I hope he plays well for the Rams other than when they play the Seahawks. But, you know, it, it's a physical game and you've got to be physical. And, you know, he's lost that element of his game. Um, he's still a real smart guy and, you know, he'll probably do well. But I think we're more talented. I think moving Jordan Brooks into the middle. I mean, I think with with Taylor, we, we've got some speed right now on the edges. Uh, I think up the middle with our safeties and our defensive tackles, we, we got a chance to be a really good defense. It may take a year because they're young and you just don't know what you're going to get with some of the young guys. I think offensively, I mean, we've got three running backs, depending on unhealthy Carson is maybe we only have two. I think our receiving core is better. Our offensive lines better. I think our tight ends are better. And so when I look at just on paper, I think we're a better, more talented team. We're just young. The, the obviously the the elephant in the room is how's the quarterback play? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know that yet. I I'm, I'm I want to see Locke. I, I want to give him a chance. He does have a live arm. I think if we do play action it and say hey we're getting rid of the ball play like the Rams played. I mean, can he be a Jeff Goff or better? Yes. Mm-hmm. And they did pretty well with him. And I think we're talented. So. You know, the over-under is six wins this year. I think we're going to be over that, uh, even though the schedule's really tough um, and so much is on in play on the quarterback. And if Locke or Geno doesn't work out next year, we've got two first-round picks, two second-round picks, a ton of money, we'll, we'll get a quarterback. So I think the future's really bright for the Seahawks. Got a Hall of Famer question for you. D, uh, Lockett and Metcalf. Do you think they'll both no. be the Hall of Fame or one or the other? Well, I don't think Lockett gets there just because I don't think the numbers are there. Um, yeah. I saw they somebody ranked the, the wide receivers and they had him like 37th or 38th. He, he's the most underappreciative, appreciated by far receiver in the league. He is so good. Um, people in Seattle know that. DK's just got, it's just going to take time. Uh, we got to see how this plays out. It's hard to make the Hall of Fame. I mean, Kenny Easley, we had to beg and plead to get him in. And he was the best safety, him and Ronnie Lott, for for many, many years. Um, you know, you're talking about truly being the best of the best for a long period of time. It's a longevity issue. So let's let the DK one play out. But I think his best football is 
way ahead of him. And that okay. is, he, again, if he learns to be still a better route runner, an intermediate route runner, a little more consistent on the, the catches, you know, mm-hmm. again, not, not that it's horrible, but to be a Hall of Famer, you got to make those ones. And instead of that drop, maybe you do take a couple of those a year to the house. Um, but they're both pretty good. So I've been podcasting about four months now. I've had a chance to talk on to several sports personalities, a couple from KGR, New York video last week. And I asked them all these things. And I'll ask you the same question as well uh, about a colleague of yours who made a huge impact in our community and sports world. And Slayer commercials, Mr. John Clayton. Can you share about John Clayton? Yeah, that was uh, that was a shock for all of us. Um, you know, losing John, uh, we we had heard that his health wasn't great. And I, I do a show with him every Thursday night for a segment. We do a thing called Hawks Live. A guy named Michael Bumpus and I. And then during the the Seahawks broadcast, we do the pre halftime post game show, and we have John on the pre and 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 the post game show. So. You know, it, it, we know John well. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, it's just a sad one. Um, no one worked harder at his craft. Um, I don't know if he knew the most about football, but he knew knew the most about what was going on, you know, in the NFL. You know, I would say, well, what's going on with that team or that salary cap? John was a sponge, man. He was an encyclopedia that was truly remarkable. So he's going to be missed. Um you know, he was so devoted to his wife and, and family and and really the game of football. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know if there will be another one like him just because the way the media, you know, the, the career for media now is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's he's going to be missed here, and not just in the NFL, but greatly here in Seattle. And playing uh, John Madden. John, but we lost John Madden in the last year as well. I, I, yeah, was fortunate to meet, you know, John Madden, talk about some heroes, you know, John Madden, and it's not like I hung out with them, but you know, when they would, uh, we'd have a Monday night game or, or, you know, a big, a big game, they would always come in a few days early. So when I was coaching, uh, I'll, I'll never, Dick Enberg was a big one for me. And, mm-hmm. uh, cause I grew up an angel fan and oh, yeah. a Ram thing and he did the angel and Ram games way back when. And uh, so I just remember sitting there and having a beer with him in a coach's locker room and just talking. And he's it's like, oh, yeah, Paul, I remember. I mean, he like he remembered my career. That was just so weird to me. Um, John, uh, John was such a superstar. It was, you know, I think he was just at practice high type of thing and um, never really got to know him. But uh, he was he's definitely an icon. So what, what, remember the first time you met John Clayton? Mm-hmm. I met John. I was a player at the time. Um, he had came from Pittsburgh and he was working for the Tacoma News Tribune. Um, no one really knew who he was at the time. Um, <laughs> we didn't. I mean, he was just a beat writer. When I say just a beat writer, back then beat writers actually were really good at what they did. They, they got to know you and they wrote really good stories. Um, now it becomes to me more of, you know, a gotcha editorial with some guys, but um, yeah, I didn't really get to know John well until I was done. I mean, he was doing more ESPN stuff. Um, and then when the Seahawks hired him and he was doing some local radio, that's when I really got to know John, mm-hmm. but uh, John, John was a very well-respected reporter. 
he seemed like a, a, a kind of guy who give you the cut cut off his back. It was raining just to give it to you. He seen I, you know I seen him do TV and and hearing the radio and whatnot. He just seemed like a a down to earth uh, guy. I'm sure his his con- contacts on his phone was probably hundreds <laughs> and thousands of people. I'm sure. Yeah, that would be a phone that uh, could probably go into the Hall of Fame. Oh, definitely. He, he worked that phone. He probably had more contacts than, than anybody. And you're right. He's He really was. I'll I tell you when I like John the most, though. Uh, great guy. It was was I was closing with. But when I liked John the most, we would have him on uh, usually around 7.30 or 7.40 on Thursday nights during the season. Uh, during Hawks Live, and John liked wine, and usually about that time, I could tell he was. Um, <laughs> I don't know what what, what what did Johnny Depp say a a mega a mega a mega glass of wine or mega pint mega he pint. Have, there you go. He, he may have been into the mega pint at that point, <laughs> and he would loosen up, and he would be he would he would laugh, and he would and he wouldn't take it so serious because sometimes if. Uh, when he's on doing uh, his inter- being interviewed, you know, he very football and, and always have an answer for the question. We would get him on and we would bring up James Brown. He loved James Brown. So that was mm-hmm. kind of his theme song when we would bring him yep, in. Yep. And then we would just ask him just life questions and he would just giggle and you could tell he was, you know, he was feeling, he was feeling no pain. And it was our, it was our most fun times with him. The articles I came across always said that he he loved doing sports, but that was number two to him. Number one was his wife Pat. And I think that's that's yeah. truly amazing. Yeah, yeah, he was he was a caretaker for Pat. I think Pat had has MS, um, and the last few years it, it had gotten pretty tough, and so he was he was having to take her, you know, and get treated and uh, a bunch, and he was very worried about her during the COVID time. Uh, so he was staying at, at arm's length pretty much from everybody during that time as well. But yeah, no, he was devoted and, um, you know, and what was cool about it is, you know, he let people in too, you know, he let people know what was going on. And I think that just shows his humility and, uh, just him being a real person. So this chit and chat podcast is about sharing encouragement, positivity and kindness. You had the opportunity to work with some amazing players and coaches and personalities, but there's someone who you who you took under your wing, maybe, and showed them the ropes or occasions of you know, different maybe coaching styles or what you played. Huh? Yeah, because I say Dave Brown uh, was the one who was my big mentor personally, you know, spiritually. Um, you know, Dave was a longtime Seahawk. Probably there's a guy who should make the Hall of Fame. He had he has 63 interceptions, and he's not in the Hall of Fame. Mm. Um, but, you know, mine are probably more when I was coaching high school here at Bellevue High School, you know, trying to mentor, you know, obviously young kids and mm. coaches. Uh, there are some great coaches. Butch Gontroff, who's the head coach at Bellevue High School, one of the finest men and coaches I've ever been around, um, could coach anywhere and, and chose to really to stay in the high school rank because he, he loves it so much. Um, so th- those were some, and I, I think for me, it's, it's, it is interesting because I keep saying, okay, God, why did I leave coaching? It was, I was doing a Bible study with a guy named Dave Brown and his was, I'm going to stay in coaching. And mine was, 
change. It was like, trust me, change. And I'm always like, why, why was that? And, you know, now in the business world, I get that opportunity. You know, I've got about 24, 25 employees. I get to, you know, try to encourage them in life and stuff. And um, so it's not just football related. Mine's probably more outside the football world. I kind of use first Thessalonians five eleven, which says encourage one another and lift each other up. I know the last two years have been kind of crap for everybody. So I, the podcast I do is just sharing encouragement, getting your story. Anyone, everyone has a story of whether yep. they either fell down or got back up or just, you know, so that's what this podcast is about. Just sharing encouragement. Is there someone who inspired you perhaps that gave you inspiration never to give up? And, and never to quit. I might have covered this already. You might have said your parents, but it was just as we're wrapping up, any, anyone in particular? Yeah, I, I, I brought it up earlier. I, again, I think it really goes to my Fullerton junior college days. Okay. Um, you know, I, I was young, you're impressionable. I, I think those are the ones more, you know, as you get older, you're trying to give back. Um, and so I, I think in my teens and certainly my early 20s, you know, Willie Shaw, Alfio, again, coaches, you know, guys who t- weren't just there to win. And I, th- I think that's the big difference. And you know it. You know it when you see it. Um, there are guys who really care about you. And I've been around coaches who didn't care about me. I, I mm. gave you another one, a guy named Joe Vitt. Joe Vitt is a longtime NFL coach. Um, you know, Joe, man, talk about tough love. I mean, that guy gave me so much tough love. There was a, um, we were playing, it was 1989. It was, it was, we were playing Kansas city and it was at the end of the game and their quarterback, I can't remember who was the quarterback at the time. He scrambles up the middle and he's right about to score. And, and I, I pull up cause I think it's at the goal line. It was actually at where the extra point is, which is about two and a half yards from the goal line, but it was the same line, same color. And I don't know why, you know, subconsciously I thought, that was the end, end, end line or the end zone, but it looked really bad. Like I towered out um, and God, man, that we go into film the next day and Joe was our, our secondary coach at the time, the safety coach. And wow, he lights me up. I mean, I, he rips me harder than any human beings ever ripped me. Mm. And basically, look, if you don't want to play, if you're going to be a coward, you know, these guys are out here playing Bob, just on and on and on. And I didn't say a word because I'm looking at it and there wasn't much to say. I pulled up, you know, I tried to, I was about to tell him the why, but it did, didn't matter. Didn't and matter. <laughs> I remember coming in the locker or go, I was in the shower and he came into the shower and he kind of patted me on the back and he said, Hey, I had to do that. I said, I know. I, I don't know. You know, I can't explain what happened. I said, I don't know why I did. I've never done that before in my life. And it, mm-hmm. a lot of it was my neck. You know, I was getting these horrible stingers and I just remember him. He said, Hey, you're better than that. Um, I had to do that, you know, cause I, I couldn't allow that in front of the guys, but that was another one where he encouraged me. I mean, I, I, I was thinking about quitting after that, like, man, I, I just let my team down and, and then he's the one who really spearheaded Chuck Knox to hire me as a coach. Wow. Yeah, so, yeah, you you talk about, yep. Now you go through tough love. That's why I'm a big believer in tough love. Don't don't, man, don't sugarcoat it. Tell people the truth, and then encourage them, and they'll respect you for it. Well, Paul, thank you for your.
and it's been an hour. I really appreciate it. It just has flown by today. In my opening, I mentioned that uh, I've learned a couple of things podcasting. One, don't be afraid to ask. You never know who may say yes, who may say no. You, sir, say yes, and I'm really for your time. And every silver Burlington area, coffee's on me. I'd love to have shit and chat with you some more about. I love sports. My dad, and my grandpa, so be a lot in common. Well, I'll be uh, I'll be down your way here in a few weeks, uh, Gold Mountain, playing some golf. Which you guys have some great golf courses there, and I'll leave this as well as again, Happy Memorial Day. Um, you know, that's not Veterans Day, man. This is the ultimate sacrifice. And I always tell people, I go, you know, I feel like a coward at times when I think of what you know anybody in the armed forces has done, and even our, you know, you know, our the blue and everybody out there, what they do to sacrifice for us. So um, it's an important yeah, it's, day, day that we, 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 we not take lightly. That's for sure. Amen. Thank you for your time. God bless you. and take. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. What a great conversation I had today with Mr. Paul Moyer. As we discuss sports and uh, uh, some coaches that really inspired him and encouraged him throughout his college career and his pro career. And it was so fun just uh, to talk to him and, and pick his brain on some, some things. And so I'm just honored to have him on the show today and really appreciate his time and joining the Chin and Chat uh, podcast today. This podcast really gives me the ability to reach out to people all over and, and ask them to be part of this podcast and really talk to them and encourage them. And the song you just heard by Jessica Lynn Woody is a Nashville recording artist and her song, Memphis Anymore. And I'm excited to have her on in some upcoming episodes and we'll share some of her music. Hope you can check it out. And also her website is uh, jessicalinwitty.com. It's spelled J-E-S-S-I-C-A-L-Y-N-N-E-W-I-T-T-Y.com. 
and a brighter schedule her videos she has merchandise as well I'm really excited to um, pick her brain and, and ask her who really encouraged her in getting into music and I can't wait to talk to her Jessica Lynn Woody here on Chit Chat Encouraging One Another Podcast It's a really tough bridge and divide for many veterans when they come home from active service. What we try to do is is bridge that divide. My name is Brandon Marty, and I am the CEO and managing partner of Veteran Roasters Coffee. There's some great skills that can be transitioned to many different industries within coffee, and coffee's fun. We're all veterans here, veteran-owned, veteran-operated, and so there's a strong connection and trust that we all have in each other through similar service, and we support each other both personally and professionally in that growth. It's all about people here, and my goal is really to help them kind of establish a new life for them and their families, help them understand the benefits and resources available, and really create a pathway to the new phase of their lives. I want to thank Brandon Marty for being a part of the Chit Chat Encouraging One podcast. And their company is offering a discount when you buy bags from them. And when you use the code CHITCHAT25, we receive 25% off. And he said there are uh, all the veterans working for the company and they help veterans get on their feet, back on their feet, uh, having some tough difficult time when they transition from the military. So just check out Veteran Grocers Coffee. It's coffee with a purpose. Thank you for being part of the Chit and Chat, encouraging one of the podcasts today. As we had our music by Joel Gibson Jr., we had a great interview with Paul Moyer, former Seattle Seahawk. We shared music by Jessica Lynn Whitty, who will be an upcoming uh, interviewer on our show we talking with her and sharing with her about uh, her story as well as a message from Braden Marty the CEO of Veteran Roasters Coffee in helping veterans get back on their feet thank you for being part of this podcast appreciate your uh, you subscribing following and commenting thank you and have a great day this is Chin Chat encouraging one another <laughs>